Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how you doing this beautiful morning? Not too bad. I'm well caffeinated and, and ready to shoot the breeze with you, Justin. Excellent. No, it's always a pleasure. It's nice to just disconnect and, you know, we've got so much going on. 2021's off to a, a great start. Things are busy, but, you know, again, we always make time for the podcast and, and we want to continue to educate everybody. So a, a topic for today, which actually, again, you brought up and I, I thought was really interesting because... We oftentimes have to explain and re-explain, and I think we've done parts of what we're going to talk about in, in multiple episodes, but this is kind of a one-package deal on, on the things we sometimes just need to forget. You know what I mean? As, as mud engineers, as we go through our career, you know, there's things that are just pounded into our heads, and maybe it's from our own company, maybe it's from you know operators saying, this is how we do it, you need to do it like this, but again, just, just things that we need to consider leaving the mind or, or leaving our, you know, etched in stone way of doing things. So Matt, I'll go ahead and get started. I know it's one that just makes your skin crawl sometimes, but electrical stability and their values. I'll pass the mic over to you, but why do you find that important? And why is it something that maybe we need to look at it at a different angle? I mean, I think the idea with respect to electrical stability is you see this fixation on the number needs to be as high as possible. And, you know, we've discussed, we've got a tech tip on this. There's a history here. And I think it's okay to remember the history, but recognize that if we cling to that, we're not going to take steps forward. And so you talk about back in the day when old, the old style ES meters weren't very reliable. And so people wanted really high numbers because they couldn't get consistent numbers. And so they thought that was sort of insurance. And at the same time, you know, new base oils were coming out. The emulsifiers weren't very compatible. You know, just all of the things that even the API clearly states. And, you know, I guess what, what I find extremely frustrating is meeting with customers and citing these API guidelines and explaining like, look, a lot of the things that you're, you know, you're committing to here add a lot of cost, but even the API, which tends to be slow to adopt a lot of things, clearly states, do not use absolute numbers to direct how you make decisions. And we still see people respond back. I mean, this was on a bid not too long ago. We need the number as high as possible so we have a stable emulsion. And it's simply not true. It's, it's as we've discussed, you follow trends. And yeah, if you see a drop relative to your baseline, that's something to be concerned about. But there's a lot of chemistry that's way more stable than what we used to use that gives you electrical stabilities that are half of what you used to get or less. So, I mean, and oil content, weight material, all these things can make it go up or down that have nothing to do with the emulsion. So, I mean, Justin, what do you typically run in a 11 pound oil-based mud right now? I mean, it could be anywhere from 350 to 600, just depending on how, you know, how seasoned the system is, if you will. Yeah. Shear history is a big, big part of it too, right? Yeah. And so, you know, but there are some, some people, oh, I need to have 800 volts. Well, what's the difference between 600 and 800? It could be a difference of how fast you're shaking the probe in the, in your mud cup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And even temperature, you know, when we talked about automation and, and some of these automated tools can do electrical stability for you, 
but they don't run it at constant temperature. To me, I would never make a decision based off of that. And that's new technology relying on old principles and kind of introducing more variability, which could lead you down the wrong road. Yeah. Well, there's a fine line of, of, of kind of pounding that into folks' heads and then really just accepting what the operator wants. And that that's kind of, I think, a lot of the challenges. I mean, I've been involved with a situation as of recent where, you know, one well went well, but then one well went even better without any issues. And the only difference on paper was the fact that we had an ES, I forget what it was, but it was like a few hundred volts different. And now it's, you know, it's a mandate that we need to run it at this. And I forget what the values are, but, you know, and we've educated the customer. We've, you know, even sent them the podcast and, and while they would agree on the literature, it's still, well, there's nothing else that we can see that was different. So therefore we're going to run this. However, you need to get cheaper and we don't want to see, you know what I mean? And so it's like this balance. And I mean, if it's not only frustrating, you know, here in the office to manage these things, but then as a mud engineer and any mud engineers listening to this, I'm sure you're just bouncing your head off the wall hearing us say this. It's like, yes, we see this all the time. Like you want us to do one thing, but then you're telling us another and it's a balancing act. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, continuing to educate as many people as we can. And yeah, I just, the ES thing is, I think regardless, I think it's going to be a topic that just continues to get talked about, but I think the more we educate and the more we talk about it, hopefully creates conversation at the rig level, all the way up to management that just says, okay, maybe let's look at the, a bit more of the forest instead of this one tree, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's causation and correlation. It's, it's a bad set of logic with a bunch of engineers, you know, and I remember we had a, there was one shale inhibitor back in the day that turned, gave the mud a little blue tint. We were told we'd be run off if we didn't add it. And we were drilling through a clean sand. And it was just got to have it, got to have it. One time it saved me. And just, we get clung on these, you know, causation versus correlation. And I think we're all guilty of it. But if, if we could do some better engineering and, you know, maybe, maybe be a little, a little more detailed in our data gathering, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll cross that bridge. But you're right. We're going to be stuck with this one for a long time, unless everybody agrees to forget it after this podcast comes out. Right. <laughs> but, you know, and, and again, I challenge us as a mud industry to, like you said, gather the right data to be able to create a case and confirm what we've been talking about. But again, it's challenging, but I think we're headed in the right direction. Moving on, rheology. First thing that comes to mind when you hear rheology is hole cleaning. And so, you know, is rheology essential for hole cleaning? Debatable. Matt, what do you think? I think in, in the... The realm where we work, no, you know, because what's interesting is we get a lot of conversations of, hey, what, you know, what clean this hole? What, what do I need my six RPM reading to be? And I think, you know, when we had Fred Dupriest on, he said, do you seriously think it's difficult to clean one of these laterals? Like at the flow rates you have, right? Th- this is not a problem. And, and the issue is when we have these conversations about six RPM reading or, or yield point or what, you know, wherever you want to go with hole cleaning concepts. The fact that these rigs that that most of us are working on, especially in the unconventional realm, have 7,500 PSI pumps and can get you whatever flow rate you need. And we're in different environments than when 6 RPM used to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. 
that no, I, th- I think the, the problem is you're looking at just one dimension when it's, you know, flow rate, pipe movement. And, you know, my concern with rheology is considerably more focused on static suspension of, you know, when the pumps are off, they write that kind of thing. I guess, I guess there's an argument to be made cuttings on that front, but as far as circulating the whole clean, it's flow rate, flow rate, flow rate. And so, yes, rheology is a factor, but we know that people have drilled wells with water, you know, when they didn't need Bayrite and done it just fine. And it's because they were able to get the pump rate. And with the new rigs that we have, we can generally get the pump rate. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of folks just forget about it is what kind of power we have to clean the hole that has really that it's not dependent on, you know, the mud and the properties. And while it's important, is it essential with the amount of mechanical power we have now? Maybe not as much, but you do need it for some things. And so I think it's important for hole cleaning to a degree, but even just pressures, right? I mean, you talk about ECD, things of that nature. A lot of times that's something that you can adjust if you're getting into a situation where you may have a tight density window. And so I think that is something also that we need to, you know, at least need to discuss because rheology is important for hole cleaning, but it also can kind of be a limiter. Right. And I mean, we, we published a paper, you know, in the, in the Northeast, which was basically what happened was up there, they were drilling 4,000 foot laterals and they couldn't get casing to bottom, but you know, as they started to step out, they wanted thicker fluid for fear of not being able to clean these laterals. Then they dropped the rheology and actually had no issues getting casing on bottom. Then they started drilling even longer laterals. You know, you hear about 20,000 foot laterals up there and they ran up the rheology again because they were scared about cleaning the hole and they had issues. And then they dropped the rheology again just to get turbulence and they had the pumps and guess what? No issues. And so drilling these longer wells, it hasn't been, hole cleaning hasn't been the issue that it was. And so most central to the rheology there was making sure that, you know, on trips you could suspend Bayride and even that wasn't that much of a challenge. So to me, I, I think when we focus on just that one dimension, I would say, yeah, we need to forget about that. That may have been true when we couldn't circulate at the rates we used to be able to, but thankfully we have hydraulics. We can model this before we get into it, but then we should actually believe those things instead of going back to our old habits. No, I think for me, one of the things looking at mud reports, especially once we get, you know, halfway through the lateral and beyond, I key in on annular velocity. That's the first thing I look at when I think of hole cleaning. And so, like you said, I mean, the goal at one point was, oh, we need to try and get to 200. Well, now you're 250, 300, even more. I mean, especially around the BHA, but you look at the, you know, the lateral around your, just your drill pipe. And the annulus there, I mean, most folks now, if you can't get over 200, then there's certainly some <laughs> design or engineering shortfalls, in my opinion. But again, you may be limited. There may be things, reasons as to why. But again, something to really key on to would be, you know, annual velocities and also some other things. Matt, before we keep going, I do want to take a break and I want to apologize to all the listeners there's been quite a few reviews that I failed to mention. And so there's one particular, the most recent one, 
by a gentleman, R.W. Bristol. I know you're in Denver. And so he said, this is a very good podcast. It really digs deep into various drilling fluids and industry topics. As a mud engineer, I find it very valuable to hear other folks' point of view. The interviews with folks in the businesses are also awesome. Keep up the great work, guys. So appreciate the support, Mr. Bristol. Yeah, you know, I'm slow to the dance on that one. That was from December. Okay. But again, I apologize. I need to make sure I keep up with that. But the reviews and the feedback is always appreciated. So I wanted to pause and, and make sure I, I mentioned that before I forgot. So yeah, well worth it. Otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves. Yeah, it's nice to know there's someone listening out there. And so if anyone out there, if you're listening, if you're driving, when you get to a point where you can hit the review button, even if it's just hitting the stars or even one sentence, that would be phenomenal. Anyway, moving along, Matt, you know, we were talking about hole cleaning and I mean, why not pump some sweeps? It's cheap insurance, you know, every other stand or every hundred feet, just pump a 10 barrel high weighted sweep just to make sure we're cleaning the hole. Matt, come on. How do we get people to think beyond this? I mean, you know, to me, it would just be stop doing it and see what happens. So we were talking to one customer at one point and they, and they said, look, you know, I just don't think we can cold turkey do it. Like, you know, drilling superintendents and, and other, like, they're not going to buy that. Like, well, what if we just reduce the frequency gradually until we realize we don't need them? As simple as it sounds, you know, in a whole well, you're talking about like 15,000 bucks worth of Bayrite. And, you know, not only that, but you're, you're bringing this back into your circulating system, which may mean for density control, you know, you need to, you know, dilute it back depending on what your pit volume is. It's just one of those where, yes, you may see more cuttings come across the time, but all you really did was gather cuttings that were dispersed and bring them across the shaker. But we have the flow rate to clean the hole. And if you're pumping sweeps, it may be that, you know, you're, if you're in vertical hole, if your rig really doesn't have the pump rates, you know, if, if you have a 2000 PSI circulating system and you're trying to drill a 15,000 foot hole, maybe you want to remember this one, but for the standard unconventional horizontal wells, if we could forget about sweeps and I've tried to like, even just like, Hey, if you can't get past this, just pump some nut plug, pump something cheap that is going to get separated out. If that makes you feel better, because it's going to be less expensive than wasting all this Bay, right? Yeah. And I'm just, it's one of those where I'm surprised that when we're always looking for different reasons to lower costs, people are so uncomfortable at least trying it. Right. And again, I mean, barite being one of the, especially if you're in a weighted system, that's your biggest cost driver. So why would you want to add more to that? But again, it's one of those where, hey, we did it this one time, we're getting stuck and we pumped a few sweeps and then we did it. And now we just do it just because this one well we had, we had hell. But one thing I would encourage the mud engineers is, I mean, you have access to pace on or whatever, you know, platform you have out there, you know, hole cleaning, you can really see if you're cleaning the hole or not through monitoring your torque, monitoring your pump pressure. So, I mean, and you can see it if you set up your screen, if you have the ability to, but even if not just track it over time, like look at your pump pressures, see, are we spiking or are there indications as to, you know, why you would potentially not be cleaning the hole so again, you know, pump pressures, torque, you know, there's, again, I may be missing a few, but, but there's certainly things on surface that you can look at to really see if you may not be cleaning the hole. So anyway, just because you're everything, if everything looks good on surface and all of a sudden you pump a sweep and you have a bunch of cuttings come back, 
Well, unless and there were none or other indicators, like Matt said, you're probably just accumulating cuttings that were eventually going to come out anyways, and you just pushed them all out at once. And so again, I think there's, you have to really look at everything instead of just, you know, one thing at a time. But, and I agree with you, Matt, it's, you know, if you're used to pumping every other stand, it's probably not, I guess, very strategic just to say, okay, we're going to stop and see what happens again, for, you know, gradually bring it back. There's a certain, there's a way of, you know, adopting change and, and going cold Turkey sometimes can be a bit much, but nonetheless, something that we all face are faced with and hopefully will be a topic that's less and less discussed in time. But Matt, another one that we want to talk about here is, is, you know, the way we drill just really hasn't changed much. I mean, we're poking a hole in the ground, we're pumping some dirt, we're turning to the right. I mean, how much more complex can it get? We've been doing this forever. I mean, <laughs> do, do you hear that very often? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those that sort of in a way frustrates me because yeah, I like a lot of people, it's easy. You and I have had the conversation, you know, the oil industry is slow to adopt change. There's a lot of things that we know they could do tomorrow on the technology side that there's just a grave reluctance to do. Those are arguments you can make, but at the same time, it's interesting to go back and try and do some of the research on best practices and you find some really great papers from 20 years ago and you realize, okay, well, they weren't actually drilling that many horizontals for sure. There may be in some directional work. They were drilling with a Kelly rig. There are just a, a number of these things that you wouldn't even conceive of today. And so to say, okay, I can use those best practices or they're relevant for what I'm doing right now can be you know, quite limited. And certainly when it comes to fluids technology, you look at the deployment. If you read the deployment of, of a lot of these, if you read, we've talked about some of these mud systems, silicates, afrons. Some of the like, if you read the initial technical papers or hear some of the you know stories from folks, you say, why aren't we using this everywhere? <laughs> and there's probably a reason for that. So understanding the history is one thing, but recognizing that a lot of the things that were written at the time assume that everybody knew what a rig was like at the time with absolutely no concept of the way we were going to drill today. And so I just think we can learn a lot from our past. We certainly, you learn a lot from the evolution of things, but I think it's also very dangerous to do that. Oh, well, back in the day, we just added some of this and it worked great. It's like, okay, how do those wells relate to what we're doing now? Not to say that they can't be part of the problem solving conversation, but I think we tend to overcommit to problems that solve problems that don't exist. <laughs> that's a tongue twister, but yes, no, that's another great point, Matt. And you know, I'm sh- there's probably more out there, but those are those are the top four, and you came up with them. And I mean, each one just hits home because I feel like we have more conversations around these four topics than we do almost anything else. But again, just something for the folks out there to challenge your peers and just reconsider a lot of the things that we do every day and challenge the status quo, you know, could save you time, money, and ultimately a lot of frustrations. And with that said, Matt, any closing last words? I'm just curious. It would be interesting. Any, any of our, our listeners, we came up with four. I would say that those are the first ones that, that came to mind, but maybe I'll have something where you're like, man, I wish we would just stop doing this. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. If you hear this and, and you think of one, send it in. We'd love to kick it around in a future episode. 
Awesome. Well, for everyone out there, appreciate the support and always listening. You can hit Matt or I up on LinkedIn, or you can email us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFlues.com. Everyone, be safe. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.